Are you tired of ads? We've got you covered. You can listen ad-free right now by joining our Patreon or by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. It's only $2.99 a month. And with that subscription, you get ad-free episodes, episodes a day early, and access to 11 bonus episodes. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of The Murder Diaries. I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. For many people attending church or an exercise class, they are healthy outlets. It's an escape from the stresses and challenges of everyday life. It's self-care. Church and fitness classes are typically held where people feel safe and secure. But sadly, for one 45-year-old fitness instructor in Midlothian, Texas, a church where she was preparing to hold a fitness class was where she drew her last breath. Left behind were three beautiful young daughters and a husband who adored her. An extended family and tight-knit community were shattered. Now, over seven years later, they're all still left wondering who murdered her and why. Her oldest daughter, Hannah, is quoted saying she was the strongest person I've ever known. Her name is Missy Beavers. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Missy Beavers was born Terry Leanne Strickland on August 9th, 1970 in Graham, Texas. From a very early age, everyone always called her Missy. Raised in a small town of Jacksboro, Texas, she was the middle child and only daughter of James and Norma Strickland. James worked as a production foreman for Pioneer Natural Resources. Missy had an older brother named Clifford, who she loved to entertain and affectionately called Bubba. She also had a younger brother named Clint, who she enjoyed pestering in the way that only siblings can pester each other. As a little girl, Missy was one of those kids that everyone wanted to be around. She radiated warmth. She loved to have fun and never met a stranger. She was always quick to help others. An active student at Jacksboro High School, Missy was part of several organizations, When I say several, I mean several. Throughout her time at Jacksboro High School, Missy partook in Future Business Leaders of America, Future Teachers of America, Future Homemakers of America, Cheer, Band, Student Council, and she also played basketball, golf, and ran track for the Jacksboro Tigers. In her 1986 sophomore year high school yearbook, Missy was voted friendliest. In her senior year, the 1987-1988 school year, she was elected to the homecoming court. She tied for fourth runner-up. After graduating from Jacksboro High School in 1988, Missy attended a few different colleges before landing on Tarleton State University. She graduated in 1995 with a Bachelor's of Science. It's not exactly clear what subject she earned her Bachelor's of Science in, but she earned a bachelor's degree nonetheless. In her first few years out of school, Missy worked as a sales associate at Beale's department store. She quickly befriended a fellow coworker who was older than her named Marsha. Marsha and Missy got along immediately, and Marsha couldn't help but think that her oldest son, Brandon, might like her too. She decided to set them up. The first time Missy met Brandon, he had been to a wedding and was still wearing his tuxedo, which, as you can imagine, made quite a first impression. And the two hit it off right away. Nine months after meeting, Missy and Brandon were married on June 18th, 1998. 
Brandon says of Missy, she was spontaneous and fun-loving. After a romantic honeymoon cruise to Alaska, the couple put down roots in Red Oak, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas. Brandon recalls of their life together, we skated through life, and it was so easy. I would even ask God, you know, is it really supposed to be this easy? Eventually, Missy felt the calling to be a teacher. She went back to school and earned a teaching credential in special education. She taught for a few years before the young couple welcomed their first child, a daughter, Hannah, born in 2001. Missy and Brandon made the decision that Missy would be a stay-at-home mom. Focusing on being a devoted mother was really important to her, although she always said that one day she might return to the classroom. Two years later, the couple welcomed another child, Allie, born in 2003. Missy filled her days caring for their two young daughters and their home. In 2007, the couple welcomed their third and final child, another daughter named Sarah. Their family was finally complete. As the years went by and the girls got older, fitness became Missy's new passion. When she wasn't driving her daughters to soccer and softball practice, she was working out in the gym religiously. After getting in the best shape of her life, Missy wanted to help others reach their own fitness goals. In 2014, she became a licensed fitness instructor for a boot camp class called Camp Gladiator. Once again, Missy was making a positive impact in an educator-teacher role. She was more than just a Camp Gladiator instructor helping her students become physically fit. She strived to help them become mentally, emotionally, and spiritually fit too. By 2016, she'd become a well-known and respected fitness instructor with a loyal following in the area. In reflection, Brandon says of Missy's loyal fitness students, I mean, they loved her. Renee, a friend of Missy's, agrees. She had a way of empowering people, but she made it fun. In my opinion, she was living out her dream. Missy's camp gladiator classes met at 5 a.m. in the parking lot of Creekside Church of Christ in Midlothian about a 20-minute drive from the Beavers' home in Red Oak. Each class had 12 to 15 students. However, it should be noted that Missy and her family didn't attend Creekside Church. For the last 15 years, the Beavers' family had worshipped at the nearby Cowboy Church. But you didn't have to be a member of Creekside for them to welcome groups to meet at the church, especially when you were teaching a positive message like Missy was with fitness. The weekend before her murder, Missy had road trip to Austin for a fitness conference called Austin Total Transformation. She posted frequently about her trip on Facebook, including photos of people who she met and shared her passion of fitness. Her last Facebook post happened on Sunday night, April 17th, 2016. Severe thunderstorms moved into the Midlothian area. So Missy posted on the Camp Gladiator Facebook page to her Monday morning class. Quote, if it's raining, we're still training. You're gladiators after all. Good night, all. I have to get up at 3.30 a.m. See you bright and early. At 4.16 a.m. on Monday, April 18th, Missy pulled her gray Ford pickup truck into the Creekside Church of Christ parking lot. To paint a mental picture for you of this church, it's a modern-looking structure located off a pretty busy highway called East Highway 287. Although at this early of an hour, there really wasn't too much traffic on the highway yet. Despite its proximity to a highway, it is in a fairly rural area, at least by this California girl's standards. Either way, the church backs up to some woods. And like the name Creekside implies, the North Prong Creek runs behind it. 
Back in 2016, the closest business to the church was SWFA Outdoors, a family-owned hunting and firearms store about half a mile away. Remember this because it will become a bit of an important detail later. It should be noted that Missy and Brandon were not naive to the dangers of her being alone so early in the morning to teach her class. Brandon frequently reminded her to scan the church parking lot with her headlights for suspicious vehicles when she arrived to set up for her class. On top of that, ever the Texas girl, Missy carried a pistol in her truck. Brandon gave it to her for protection just a few weeks before her murder. At 4.20 a.m., Missy entered the church through its main entrance, carrying her workout equipment with her. The class normally met in the parking lot, but because of the heavy rain, the class was being moved inside. Missy first appeared in video footage captured by the church's motion detector, activated by interior surveillance cameras. Note, I said interior. Unfortunately, the church's exterior cameras weren't working that day. As a result, no video footage exists of anyone entering or exiting the church. It's also important to mention that at that time, the church didn't have an alarm system. At 4.35 a.m., the first Camp Gladiator attendee pulled into the church parking lot, but they stayed in their car until just before the class's start time, 5 a.m. It's at that 5 a.m. start time that a group of Camp Gladiator attendees entered the church. To their utter shock, they found Missy unresponsive lying on the floor surrounded by broken glass and her own blood. 911 was called immediately. Local firefighters pulled up to the church by 5.07 a.m. Police officers followed about three minutes later at 5.10. In the end, it didn't matter how fast the first responders got to the scene. It was too late to save her, and Missy was officially pronounced dead. Officers searched the large church, but it quickly became clear the murderer had already fled. Investigators found evidence of forced entry at the church's back door, where the murderer is believed to have entered. As we mentioned, the church's outdoor surveillance cameras weren't functioning. So unfortunately, there's no video footage of the murderer breaking in or fleeing. On top of that, it's unclear if the murderer parked in the church parking lot or walked to the church from another location. When police watched the surveillance footage from the interior of the church, a bone-chilling sight appeared on the screen. At 3.50 a.m., roughly 30 minutes before Missy entered the church, an ominous figure could be seen roaming the church hallways. They were opening doors and smashing windows with a hammer or something like a crowbar clutched in their hands. The figure was dressed in black SWAT gear, including a vest with police emblazoned in white on the back of it. The outfit included dark pants, boots, gloves, a helmet, and a face mask that concealed their face. The face mask hid not only the person's face and thus identity, what gender the person might identify with. The person appears to be a bit more heavy set, and some have even speculated it could have been a pregnant person. After viewing the video, retired homicide detective John Bueller says that the suspect seems comfortable in the way they're moving about, as if they're very familiar with the building and know exactly where they were going. A correspondent for Inside Edition mentioned in a segment for the show that the murderer seemed almost as if they were aware the cameras were there, just didn't care. The shadowy figure doesn't seem nervous or agitated. Instead, they walk with an eerie nonchalance. Some commented that at times they seem to reach for the walls as if to steady themselves. This has led some to think that the person may have been under the influence of drugs or alcohol. One thing's clear. This was the murderer. 
Police held a news conference just a few hours after Missy was found murdered. In it, they told the police about the video footage and directed them to the Midlothian Police Department's YouTube page where it could be viewed. Officials hoped someone might recognize the ominous person in the video. According again to Inside Edition, police told Brandon the deadly attack between Missy and the murderer was not caught on tape. It's believed the fatal altercation between the two took place in a, quote, dead zone where no cameras were there to capture it. However, it's important to note that not all the video footage has been released to the public. This police tactic is not new, and it's fairly common in order to help preserve crime-specific information that could eventually help investigators identify the murder if someone knows a detail that hadn't been shared with the public. Missy's body was transported to the Dallas County Medical Examiner's Office for a full autopsy. The medical examiner concluded that Missy died from puncture wounds to the head and chest. It's believed that the tool or hammer, whatever the suspect had been clutching in their hand in the video, was the murder weapon. Missy was likely rendered incapacitated by her head wounds and killed by the blows to her body. The medical examiner explains, a hammer is considered an extremely intimate weapon of choice. A full rotation of someone swinging a hammer, it's about 45 miles per hour. One of the first questions investigators had was, whether this was a random act of violence or if Missy had been targeted. There were no signs of robbery and church officials said that nothing was missing, including a substantial amount of money from the Sunday offering collection the day before that was kept there. Neither Missy's cell phone or wedding ring had been taken. Her truck was still parked outside. Her purse, iPad, and other personal belongings were also still found in her truck. So was her gun. Her husband, Brandon, said that Midlothian Police Department just didn't have the tech resources required to conduct a thorough enough investigation for a complex murder case. In fact, Midlothian hadn't had a murder in over seven years. The Ellis County Sheriff Department, which had a property evidence collection team, was brought in to help. Eventually, Tarrant County investigators, Texas Rangers, the FBI, and a canine unit from the ATF were all called in to assist with the investigation. A forensic podiatrist, medical examiner, trace evidence specialist, and even a psychologist were all brought in to help too. A former detective and forensic specialist explained how blood spatter can reveal a lot about a crime. Quote, it can show the position of a killer, position of the weapon, and where it took place. It can even help determine how tall the murderer was. Investigators were able to calculate from the video that from the floor to the top of their helmet, the murderer was somewhere between 5'2 and 5'7 in height. The video also showed a key physical characteristic of Missy's murderer. They walked with a very distinct gait that resembled a limp. The right leg or foot is the one that appears to be affected. Dr. Nirenberg, the forensic podiatrist that authorities hired to consult on the case, says that he believes this is a valuable piece of evidence. Brought in to study the suspect's gait, he said that the knee bends backwards on some of the steps when the murderer walks. This is called hyperextension, and it's different from how most people walk. The suspect's gait is also asymmetric. Another podiatrist who studied the video thinks that the abnormal gait could be the result of maybe some type of injury, and it is possible that it could have since healed. In an interview with the forensic podiatrist, Dr. Nirenberg, he said that the medical examiner was able to determine which weapon was definitely used to kill Missy, but police aren't releasing that information to the public. A quick side note, the forensic podiatrist also revealed that video footage exists of Missy entering the church 
He's seen it, but that also hasn't been shared with the public. Dr. Nuremberg says the image of Missy walking down the hall, not knowing the fate that's about to fell her, is what haunts him the most about this case. DNA from the crime scene, unfortunately, hasn't been helpful as of yet. It turned out not to be a complete profile, but instead it was mixed from two different people. On top of that, there's just too much foot traffic coming in and out of a building like this church on a daily basis. The medical examiner says that the only way they'd be able to extract DNA they know is useful is if they were able to get it off Missy. Another additional challenge, the crime scene was only locked down for about seven hours. Media swarmed the area within 24 hours. And we're not just talking the local news. State and national news outlets quickly picked up the story of a beautiful fitness instructor murdered in a church. As is often the case, the first person police looked to as a possible suspect was Brandon Beavers, Missy's husband. One of the Camp Gladiator attendees called Brandon shortly after Missy's body was discovered. She told him that there had been an accident and that he needed to come home right away. Brandon misunderstood and thought that Missy had been injured in some kind of car accident. The woman who called Brandon had a husband who was also a Camp Gladiator attendee. On top of that, they were a friend of Brandon's, so they called him back about 10 minutes later. It's then that he delivered the tragic news. Something's happened. Missy's no longer with us. Brandon was eight hours away on his annual fishing trip with about 12 other guys in Biloxi, Mississippi. He left the trip as quick as he could and started the drive home to Texas. With Brandon out of town and Missy up before dawn, Missy's mom had planned to come for a visit to help the girls get ready for school. But because of the severe weather the night before, her mom stayed home in Jacksboro. Missy decided the girls, at this point aged 15, 13, and 8, were old enough to stay by themselves for a short period until she got home after the class. Sadly, Missy wouldn't be coming home. Brandon called his mom and sister and asked them to go be with the girls. He didn't want to break the tragic news over the phone, but he also didn't want his daughters to hear about it from somebody else before he got back from Biloxi. So he asked his mom and sister to do the unthinkable, to go over to his house, wake up the girls, and tell them their mother was murdered. Quote, I don't even remember what I thought about on that eight-hour drive. I was just in a state of shock. I was in shock for several weeks. Authorities brought Brandon into the police station for extensive questioning. Almost immediately, they played him the video footage of the suspect wandering the halls of the church, smashing windows and opening up doors. Brandon's first reaction after watching the video was that the SWAT tactical gear worn by the suspect wasn't current. Investigators agreed. It looked more like vintage SWAT gear to them, too. To make it more complicated, similar vintage SWAT gear can easily be found and purchased online. Generally, when someone tries to buy the newer official gear at the supply store, they have to show their law enforcement credentials before they can purchase it. Investigators believe the murderer wore the gear not only to conceal their identity, but to also catch Missy off guard. Brandon's alibi of being in Biloxi, Mississippi on a fishing trip with his friends was solid and easily corroborated. Detectives even traveled to Mississippi and spoke with the Biloxi fishing boat captain to confirm that Brandon was where he said he'd been. On top of that, Midlothian Police Chief Carl Smith stated in a press conference that Brandon had been cooperating fully in the investigation. 
Brandon fully understands why they had to rule him out, saying there was a process there. They had to make sure I wasn't responsible for this. I wanted to help them clear me as fast as possible so they could move on to looking at other possible suspects. In an effort to exonerate himself, Brandon even invited law enforcement officials to come live with him and his family so that they could watch Brandon's every move. With his airtight alibi and full cooperation, law enforcement never took him up on this offer, though. A search warrant did state that the Beavers were having money problems, and another sworn affidavit for a search warrant suggested that Missy was having an extramarital affair. It should be noted, though, that this has never been confirmed by anything else. Police did gain access to Missy's LinkedIn account. She was actually really active on LinkedIn. Police contacted a person of interest who had been in contact with Missy through LinkedIn. The man that was messaging her did admit to authorities that he was speaking with Missy through LinkedIn. He said that he had started speaking with her in January of 2016 and continued all the way up until her murder. We really don't have a lot of information about these messages. Even if they are flirtatious in nature, that's certainly not something that warrants an accusation of an extramarital affair the way the affidavit does. But again, we don't have a lot of information about this. However, it is out there. So out of respect for the family, we want to mention it, but also drive home the point that we really just don't know. Anyways, police eventually ruled the man she was messaging on LinkedIn out as a suspect. His name has not been released, nor has it ever been made public in any way. Brandon has vehemently denied both allegations of money problems and marital discord. He shot back saying people are so quick to believe anything written in search warrants. He called it pure speculation. When asked by Inside Edition what Brandon thought the motive for Missy's murder might have been, he replied, jealousy. There was no denying. Missy was a beautiful, outgoing woman with blonde hair and she was in top physical shape. Brandon has gone back and forth over whether he believes Missy was targeted or not. He was initially convinced Missy wasn't targeted, but has since changed his mind, and now he believes she was. He's also been on the fence as to whether he believes the eerie figure in the video footage was a man or a woman. Just a few weeks after the murder, he told People Magazine, I think it was a woman. There's no reason why an individual would break into a church dressed in that type of clothing and stage a robbery or what could have appeared to be a robbery, going through the building, breaking glass, and opening doors. If that person was really there to commit a robbery, why did they kill my wife and leave her wedding ring on her finger? Brandon's father, Randy, was also investigated as a possible suspect. On April 22nd, just a few days after Missy's murder, the owner of a local dry clean supercenter contacted police. They reported that a customer had dropped off a blood-stained white shirt to be cleaned. There were signs that someone had attempted to remove the stain before bringing it in. In a bizarre coincidence, the owner of that shirt was Randy Beavers. When Brandon heard about this bloody shirt, he called his dad. He knew he had nothing to do with Missy's murder, but he also knew that the media would have a field day with this story. He told his dad, we need to get this snuffed out quick. With that, Randy released a statement to the media explaining that the blood on the shirt was not human. It was from a dog. He had broken up a fight between Kilo, his wife Vicky's dog, and his daughter's larger dog. My wife had a small chihuahua that she had had for 13 years. It's her baby, so I'm carrying the dog from the house to the veterinary clinic. It was bloody. Sadly, Kilo did die a short time later. 
When asked why Randy didn't think to mention the bloody shirt to police, he replied that he didn't see any need to because, quote, it's a non-issue. He was simply focused on consoling his grieving wife over the loss of her beloved dog, not on whether someone would think he killed his daughter-in-law, Missy. Authorities, of course, tested the shirt to be sure. The results came back and confirmed that the stain was indeed animal blood, not human. The bloody shirt wasn't the only reason Randy was investigated, though. He also matched the general height and weight of the suspect in the church surveillance footage. And he also walked with a limp. Randy suffers from ankylosing spondylitis, a type of severe arthritis that causes inflammation in the joints and ligaments of his spine. As a result, he has trouble walking or even looking up. Like his son, Randy had a solid alibi. He and his wife had been in Southern California visiting family when Missy was murdered. They had returned to Texas as soon as they heard the news. While Randy's alibi checked out, investigators continued to receive not hundreds, but thousands of leads that flooded in from the public. In May of 2016, one of those leads put Bobby Wayne Henry on their radar. A tip had come in that a dark-colored SUV was seen leaving the church parking lot around 4.30 a.m. the morning of Missy's murder. Bobby Wayne was a former Lancaster police officer. Lancaster is about 30 minutes northeast of Midlothian. In 1996, he was suspended from the force after being accused of aggravated sexual assault. He had also been a tactical officer who admitted to police under questioning that he had still owned his former riot gear. But there was just one thing. He claimed it no longer fit. At the time of Missy's murder, Bobby Wayne worked as a security guard. While he worshipped at Creekside Church of Christ, he told investigators he'd never met Missy or even heard of her. It can't go without noting that in a strange turn of events, he volunteered to work her funeral as a security guard. On top of all of this, Bobby Wayne also owned a darker brown 2014 Honda CRV, a car that was similar to the one reported leaving the church parking lot. If you thought that was it, there's still more. And another bizarre coincidence, Bobby Wayne also walked with a limp. Police consulted with Dr. Michael Nuremberg, the forensic podiatrist from Indiana, to compare Bobby Wayne's walk with that of the murderer's gate on the video footage. Unfortunately, the findings were inconclusive. Unlike Brandon and Randy Beavers, Bobby Wayne had been in town when Missy was murdered. He did have a fairly credible alibi, though. He had been asleep at home, but woke up around 3 a.m. to feed his baby while his wife got ready for work. On December 14, 2016, a search warrant was served at the Henry's home. No evidence related to Missy's murder was retrieved, although Bobby Wayne was charged with possession of child sexual assault material found on his computer. Those charges were later dropped. One final detail about Bobby Wayne that made his involvement in the murder a lot more unlikely was his height. As mentioned earlier, investigators were able to determine that the murderer seen in the video was at the very most like 5'7 or so. But Bobby Wayne was considerably taller, 6'1". Another lead police took seriously involved a friend of Missy's who told police three days before Missy was murdered, she had shown her a private message that she'd received over LinkedIn. The friend told police that this message was from a male unknown to them both, and they had both agreed the message was creepy and strange. Unfortunately, police were not able to trace the message back to identify the man. 
About a month after Missy was martyred, authorities obtained outdoor video footage captured less than three hours before Missy's murder from the parking lot of the SWFA Outdoors. Remember, that's the hunting and gun shop near Creekside Church. In the video footage, a vehicle, which is possibly a 2010 to 2012 Nissan Ultima or 2010 to 2012 Infiniti G37, was seen acting strangely. As it drove around the lot, it turned its headlights on and off and parked briefly before finally driving away. Despite every effort, due to the darkness and the heavy rain, authorities were unable to read the license plate number or get a description of the driver from the video. The driver has never come forward despite police sharing the video footage with the public. So the question remains for law enforcement, was this the killer or just a strange, unrelated incident? In another strange event, a month after Missy's death, dozens of her Facebook friends received a friend request from her. Friends and family were unsettled to get a message seemingly from beyond the grave. A police investigator specializing in social media forensics was assigned and looked into it. To this day, it's still unclear if someone was playing a sick practical joke or if it was the result of a computer glitch or most unsettling of all, if it was the murderer taunting authorities and Missy's friends and family. Police have received over 3,000 tips. Unfortunately, none of them have led to an arrest of Missy's murderer. The ominous figure in the church surveillance footage remains both unidentified and at large. A $10,000 reward was offered by police for any information leading to an arrest. That figure was raised to 20000 then 50000 as of October 2022, thanks to donations from various individuals and organizations, the reward now stands at $150,000. Brandon initially planned to bury Missy in Jacksboro next to her father, James, who had died just 18 months before. Missy had, after all, always been a daddy's girl. But in the end, she was buried in the nearby shallow cemetery in Ovilla, Texas, so her daughters could visit whenever they wanted. The inscription on Missy's gravestone reads, Loving Mother. It is well with our soul. Go boldly. A bench near her grave has Missy written in black wrought iron. In February of 2018, as if to admit the investigation was at a dead end, the Midlothian Police Department assigned Detective Andy Vaughn, a brand new investigator, to Missy's case. In response to the new assignment, the assistant chief of police told NBC Dallas, if someone had told me two years ago that we'd be talking about this case and it's still unresolved, I would have thought you were crazy. Until Missy's killer is caught, I will stop short of saying that any person is absolutely excluded. But to be clear, none of Missy's family are the focus of this investigation. Missy's friends and family are left to wait, hope, and pray for justice. Brandon said he's willing to forgive Missy's killer, but only if they turn themselves in, saying, turn yourself in, do what's right. Don't live the rest of your life with this in your heart because it will eat you like cancer. We need closure. This is going to eat us alive for many years to come. Brandon is now focused on raising the three girls. He planned to stay in the family home, but Allie, his middle daughter, wanted a fresh start. So they have since moved and have created a new home. A couple years ago, Brandon remarried. His current wife was a friend of Missy's and has known Missy and Brandon's daughters for most of their lives. She also has three children of her own. Authorities say that no one the police have investigated is officially cleared until the crime is solved, but there are currently no publicly known suspects in Missy's case. 
The oldest daughter is quoted saying to the killer, I will say that you really did ruin our lives and change our lives and emotionally hurt us in every single way possible and took a loving person away from each one of us. Missy's obituary talked a lot about her big heart, how she loved God, her husband, her daughters, her family, her friends, and her Camp Gladiator students. She loved the ocean and the beach. She loved laughter. She rooted for everyone around her to live out their dreams. She led by example. Once she put her mind to something, there was no goal she couldn't accomplish. Middle daughter Allie said Missy is a role model and that she and her sisters aspire to be like her one day. Sarah, the baby of the family, reflected on how she never liked to leave Missy's side. I would love my mom so much, I didn't want to leave her, and I would try to miss school, and I would go to boot camps with her. It's so clear how much Missy's family, community, and loved ones miss her. If you have any information about the death of Terry Missy Beavers, please call the Ellis County Crime Stoppers at 972-937-7297. You can find us on TikTok, Threads, and Instagram at The Murder Diaries Pod. And until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.